we look at Jesus during this section as being uh, the perfect leader to bring us into God's presence. The writer to the Hebrews compares him to Moses, and in the next chapter we'll mention Joshua as Israel's leaders bringing uh, the nation of Israel into the promised land. And there's a couple of verses in chapter 3 to just review a little bit here that kind of encapsulate, encapsulate this idea. Where, there, where we read in Hebrews 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. means think closely about who he is, the, the, the role of Messiah that he plays, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. We looked this morning at the idea of how we have the opportunity, both individually and corporately, to follow our leader, Jesus, in real time. Consider how the 24-hour news cycle, real-time news, has affected our world. Consider how something could happen this morning on the total opposite side of the globe, and we could all get notices about it on our phones within, oh, look at that, there's one. (laughs) Within minutes. Within minutes. When I was uh, down in uh, Dallas for one of our classes, during one of the uh, student presentations, all of a sudden everybody's phone starts going, all around the tables. It was an Amber Alert. And, and we all had to stop and say, okay, back up about 10 seconds. We all missed this because we all got these notices on our phones of something that was happening there in real time. Uh, this can happen for good, like with the Amber Alert. It can happen for harm with the increase of anxiety and depression. Sometimes I wonder if we feel like the world in terms of... Um, you know, abductions and murders and things like that. We, we wonder if the world's gotten worse only because we hear about everything that takes place. There's no filter for it. And it can cause anxiety and discouragement. Mark Twain said, you know, some hundred years ago, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. And think about today, you can actually see a video that has been manipulated to to make it appear like something happened that actually didn't happen. And it it can uh, circulate around the world in minutes. Uh, Think about how this affects planning and strategy in war. Used to be that generals had to rely on information coming from spies. Then it became uh, aerial flyovers, and the pilot would come back and report troop movements. Then it was aerial photos of the U-2 spy planes. They would come back, and they'd take this big canister of film out, and they would develop it and you know, find out what's going on over in the Soviet Union. Then it's satellite images, and now with drone footage, somebody can see something happening on the other side of the world, flying it look like a play, they're playing a video game at Langley Air Force Base and take device, decisive action within minutes. This is real-time understanding, real-time 
knowledge. Think of how communication from leaders can happen in real time, uh, beginning especially with radio. Thinking of, of uh, Winston Churchill's addresses that came across the radio to the, to the people of England. I, I looked up Dwight Eisenhower's ordering the Normandy invasion on June 6, 1944. And his statements go out to the troops, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you in company with our brave allies and brothers in arms. On other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine the eliminations of Nazi tyranny over oppressed people of Europe and the security for ourselves in the free world. It was so important that those words be able to be heard in real time. It wasn't, you know, the opportunity for a message to be, to be uh, heard and, and uh, what would take place days later could be averted. But that message went out from the leader in real time. And we've been if we've been converted, if you've been converted into a follower of Christ, having received the gospel and began the relationship with him that comes through Christ, we can follow our leader, Christ, in real time as well. And we will have a saving, persevering faith in real time. The writer to the Hebrews is actually preaching a sermon, I believe, and, and he exposits from different passages from the Old Testament, which is kind of interesting for us because, you know, I'm expositing from this letter to the Hebrews and he's expositing in these verses Psalm 95 and Psalm 95 is talking about Numbers 14. How do we work this out with God's help? So we pick up in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Hebrews. And notice the, the understanding of the scriptures when he describes it as, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. A great reverence for the fact that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So quoting from Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. If you recall, uh, Pastor Jeff preached from Numbers 13 and 14 about the stories of the nation of Israel coming, uh, being led out of Egypt by Moses. And after some time, about a year uh, at the base of Mount Sinai, being led up to the promised land at Kadesh Barnea, and then having the report back from the spies, uh, most of the spies saying, there's no way we can take this land. Deciding, you know what? We're going back to Egypt. How crazy is that? As the Bible Knowledge Commentary states, uh, God put them on a 40-year detour in the wilderness. The judgment from God was this generation, everyone 20 years and older, is going to die in the wilderness. And it's going to be the next generation that enters the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua, who brought back 
the report from the promised land of saying, guys, we can do this. If God is with us, we can do anything he tells us to do. So continuing on with his quoting from Psalm 95, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then he picks up applying this in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, that rebellion at, at, the, at the foot of the promised land. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who were left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Notice that's kind of a big conclusion that the writer makes at this point in the sermon. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. That's the sin to avoid in these chapters of Hebrews. The ESV study Bible says this, from the perspective of God's saving plan for world history, the church, we, live in a special moment in which God has come, spoken, and gone, and believers await his return. Faith is called for in this hour, and mutual exhortation sustains and strengthens faith. The opposite of faith is unbelief. Unbelief. So coming back, as I mentioned, uh, the writer is expositing on Psalm 95. And so we're going to kind of look at the first few verses of this passage and what he has to say in the, set, in the last few verses and kind of see how he's explaining Psalm 95 there. And then we're going to dig into the applications that he make. He makes there in, Psalm, in verses 12 and 13. So quoting from Psalm 95, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. And, and I hope you'll open your Bible here to the passage as well. You know, um, just because we put it on the screen doesn't mean you shouldn't bring your Bible with you and, and open it up. But you can see in verse 16, at the tail end of our passage here, he asks the question, these are rhetorical questions, saying, you know, because they all know the answers. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? Even though they were Hebrews, even though they were a people that were made out of nothing, 
from their forefather Abraham simply because God told Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Even though these were God's chosen people, even though they had been rescued from Egypt because of all of God's amazing acts of showing his power over the, the land of Egypt and using a one stuttering leader, Moses, to lead them out of Egypt, even though they were led by this amazing leader, Moses, that God made him into, this leader, even though they were led out of Egypt by Moses and, and led through the Red Sea and they saw the thunder and the lightning and heard God's voice around Mount Sinai and saw God provide water for them along the way and, and manna, they still rebelled in unbelief. And verse 17 asks, With whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Even after 40 years of being God's people and seeing his works, they still suffered the consequence of their unbelief. And I believe it's saying their unbelief continued. And they didn't find mercy from God during that time. Psalm 95 continues, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So the writer says in verse 18, With whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but with those who were disobedient? God was specifically provoked with that generation. These, as I mentioned, saved from Egypt through his miraculous works, walked through the Red Sea with God having parted it on both sides and then watching God close it onto the Pharaoh in his army behind them. Saw God's awesome glory at Mount Sinai, brought to the edge of the promised land, and still yet they rebelled because of unbelieving hearts. <clears throat> They had cat theology. Cat theology differs from what's called dog theology. All right? And I've mentioned this before. Dog theology looks at their, their owner and they say, you feed me. You love me. You care for me. You must be God. Cat theology looks at their owner and says, you feed me, you love me, you care for me, I must be God. The children of Israel, by this time, I, you know, they developed a kind of cat theology. Hey, God, you've been taking care of us. You better take care of all of our worries first before we sign on, before we do this. You better solve all of our fears. And God's saying, I can't do anything with an unbelieving heart. Or as uh, Warren Wiersbe says, God had delivered his people from Egypt and had cared for them, revealing his power in many signs and wonders. Israel saw all the, this and benefited from it, but the experience did not bring them closer to God or make them trust him more. All that God did for them did not benefit them spiritually. In fact, just the opposite took place. They hardened their hearts against God. They put God to the test and he did not fail them. Yet they failed him. You know, we love pitch-ins. We're, we're, we're going to be getting ready to have a pitch-in in September. We love pitch-ins. 
part of what we love pensions is because, and I love this term for it, it's a smorgasbord, right? It's a smorgasbord of food. It's a buffet of different people's different talents and, and, and uh, what they like to bring to it. And, you know, people are always looking at it and they're like, oh, I hope Penny made her noodles. And, you know, there better be a uh, sugar cream pie and, and things like that. But the, the fact is this. We have a tendency in our nation, in evangelicalism, to have a smorgasbord Christianity. Where it's like, you know, I, I like this from this church, and I like to pick up a little bit of this from this church, and we treat it kind of like a buffet. And, and that is not what we are called to. We are called to be challenging one another. We're being called to be walking in relationship with one another beyond just Sunday morning. To be the body of Christ. I want to challenge you here. Following Christ as our leader in real time means be vigilant to follow Christ together. It means to be vigilant to follow Christ together. This is how it's applied here. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. When he says uh, take care, it means be watching and ready to respond. <clears throat> you know, there's military practices for, for a small group of, of soldiers. Maybe they're a recon team or a SEAL team or something like that. And, and they're, they're behind enemy lines. And they'll say, eyes up. Have your head on a swivel. That means don't just get tunnel vision right in front of you. Be watching around you. You know, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but the older I get, the, the uh, less distance I can actually swivel my head, right? I mean, I can go to about here. Nobody can see 360 degrees around me, right? It takes more than one. It takes more than one. And in the same way, it takes more than one to take care, to be watching, to be ready to respond, to check your six. The danger to help each other guard against is falling away from the living God. Falling away, this term in English, it sounds like an accident. It sounds like a slip. You know, like you're kind of walking on a, on a trail and you slip and you kind of fall down into a ravine or something like that. That's not what it's talking about. It's, it's, it's more like peeling off. If you imagine like columns of soldiers being led and one of them decides we're not going that direction. We're going we're gonna to go in this direction and it falls away from the, from the command of the army. That, that's the idea, the term. It's an act of rebellion. Being vigilant to follow Christ together means being watchful for unbelief in our hearts. We come back to Proverbs 4.23 oftentimes when we talk about the heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. In other words, where your life is going to go, how your life is going to go, is going to be based on the condition of your heart. We've talked before that the heart is like a rudder of a ship. Okay, you can adjust every other little thing on that ship. But the direction that the rudder is 
pointed in, that is the direction that that ship is eventually going to go. And that's why scripture focuses so much on our hearts. We eventually go to what we desire. We eventually go to what we love. And we do not change unless we love something more than that thing that we need to move away from. The Bible Exposition Commentary says, the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. The heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. Guess what, guys? Ladies, God changes hearts. That's what he does. He changes us at the root to affect the fruit. Be vigilant to being vigilant to follow Christ together also means submitting to the desires of the living God. Now, I want you to understand that this is in the context of relationships with each other. Take care, brothers, lest there be among you, be in any of you. This is being watchful of one another for an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. I love the, the understanding of intimacy means into me, see. See into me. Intimacy with God means allowing God to see into you and dealing with what you find there, dealing with what he finds there. God's intention is to transform hearts. David prayed in Psalm 51, after his great sin with Bathsheba, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Jeremiah, uh, promised in Jeremiah 24 of what God would do for his people. And we know from the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 that God applied this to us, the church. But he says in Jeremiah 24, verse 7, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Be watchful of yourselves and each other in case one of you has an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to rebel against the living God. Could you imagine an inmate returning to his cell on death row after he's been told, you're free, you've been acquitted, you can leave? He gets about halfway out of the prison and they turn around and they're like, where'd he go? His family's like, where is he? And he went back in his cell. That's all he knows. Maybe they miss life behind bars. Maybe they're, they're scared because that's all that they've known and they don't, they don't know how to experience anything else. These Hebrew people that were reading this letter, they were tempted to return to their life of family and friends and the traditions that they grew up with that, that they knew for centuries that, that made them feel like I'm special before God because I do this, because I'm a part of these people. They wanted to return to that. that. That was their temptation. And to return, all that they had to do was to agree that Jesus is not the Messiah. And many of these readers, I believe, were still on the fence with this. And he's warning them against this. 
He's warning them as a body. Help one another with this. You know, we, we live amidst, and we talked about this a little bit before, we live amidst a new definition of morality. The new morality of our culture. The new morality of our culture. Our culture is saying that whatever it is that the heart desires, that is what is good and right. And it's people are actually be calling, being called immoral for telling someone else you should not follow any and every desire of your heart. Many of those desires of a sinful heart are going to lead you into a lifestyle of bondage. But the new morality that is around us is lifting up the human heart and saying, this is good and whatever it desires, that is what is good and what should be done. Love is love, right? All desires should be pursued and they should be embraced by everyone around you or they hate you. That's the temptation that we face to walk away from God's truth. How do we go astray? What does it say? Look up there. Go astray in their evil, unbelieving hearts. That's where sin begins. Some of you read evil, unbelieving heart and you can think, and you think, I could never let other people see that in me. Let's just all agree, if Scripture tells us that it can be there, that it can be there. If Scripture tells us that we need to guard our hearts, if Scripture tells us that God needs to transform and renew our minds and our hearts, then most of the time, we need a transformed heart. We need a renewed mind. So let's not be surprised when we see it, and we shouldn't be surprised when a brother or sister shares with us about their own heart that needs transformation, their mind that needs renewal. What we've learned from our verses here is that it is requires intimacy with each other as well as intimacy with God. It requires to be able to say, into me, see. Look into me and see my heart and my intentions and check them with me. That, that's the application here of these verses. In your relationships together, take care of each other. Take care of each other. Notice here that following Jesus as our leader in real time also means to encourage one another every day. He says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. To exhort here, along with, it means to urge strongly, but it's a combination of two uh, terms. One, it means to come alongside of. And so it means to come alongside of and to call up to join you. Okay, so it's like a pace setter, if you will. Think of like a pace setter in a race. That they're, they're going to step in and they're, they're not just going to join back with the person at a slower pace. They're going to come in alongside and they're going to like, okay, pick it up, pick it up, let's go, let's go. That's this picture of exhorting one another to encourage by calling another and to walk alongside of us. 
when should we be doing this? Well, if the day is called today, that's when we should be doing it. You know, it's like saying, well, what days do you like to eat ice cream? Only those days that are called today, right? Encourage one another every day to guard against being hardened. Can you believe that most of Israel is saying, let's go back to Egypt? You know, we were wrong about this Moses guy. We were wrong about this promised land thing. It's what we've been hearing about, looking forward to for 400 years. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. Having our, our baby sons thrown into the Nile by the Egyptians, that wasn't all that bad. Let's go back. But isn't that what we do sometimes so often with our diets, with our resolutions, with our new leaves that we turn over? Right? We waver back and forth. But when it comes to an issue of faith in Christ, trusting in something, or, or trusting in something other than Christ for our identity, for, for, for salvation especially, we've got to have those who will step in and knock the idol out of our hands and say, that's not what you were made for. That is not going to give you the sense of accomplishment, the sense of security, the sense of intimacy, the sense of adventure that you are looking for. It's going to leave you empty. Hey guys, if our verses here say that we need to do it, let's not be embarrassed that we need it. You're normal. We need one another. Encourage one another every day also to guard against sins, deceitfulness. The idea here is that when we are walking down a sinful path, our condition only gets worse. We only get more stupid. We only get more blind. Our heart doesn't get more tender to the Lord. It gets hardened. Sin doesn't open our eyes. It deceives us. And our flesh tells us, you're okay. And it just starts to blame others. You know, we see this happening on a global scale with this new morality, with the sexual revolution that we are going through. What we are seeing is um, again and again, 